Locked On Podcast Network presents Locked On Sports Today. The Miami Hurricanes put together a furious comeback to make it to their first Final Four in school history. Up next is the remaining favorite to win it all. We'll get a firsthand account of UConn's talent. And why is everything going wrong with the Mavericks? I'm Kainani Stevens and for Peter Bukowski, and you're watching Locked On Sports Today. This episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. Alex Dono from Locked On Canes. I thought I was going to be talking to a sad Alex for much of that game. I've got to be honest with you, but oh my goodness, what a comeback win. I know you watched it on a plane. I think you said you switched with your wife and then you're responsible for this comeback win, right? Because you switched seats. So thank you for that. I'm sure many fans are very happy with that, but what is it? What does it mean to see this team after going to the Elite Eight make the Final Four this year? Well, what Miami just did winning this game, uh, literally the biggest victory in Miami Hurricanes basketball history. First ever trip to the Final Four, Kai. They were able to get to the Elite Eight last year. They were able to repeat that. And yeah, um, about 14 minutes left in this basketball game when Texas mm -hmm. couldn't miss and mm -hmm. they had a 13-point lead against Miami. Things were looking incredibly bleak. Uh, it was just unbelievable. Uh, you know, Miami throughout the regular season had this knack for blowing big leads. Now they've developed a much more enjoyable habit, and that's coming back from big deficits, right? I mean, a lot of people thought they weren't going to come back against Drake in the opening round. Uh, much more in control their previous two games against Indiana and Houston. And then in this one against Texas, uh, the Longhorns were shooting lights out. Miami couldn't hit a three-point bucket all game long. They still found a way to scratch and claw their way back. It was incredible. Just living for that drama, which we all love this time of year, of course. Um, when they were down like that, it seemed that they just were struggling to kind of be themselves, right? And then whether, you know, people talk about the foul discrepancy or whatever, they were just going to the hole and getting fouled and making their foul shots. So you talk a little bit about that experience. They went to the Elite Eight. They talked about how that's motivated them this year, but they really used that to push them over the edge to make it to the Final Four this year, it seems. Yeah, and the player that um, deserves, you know, the first game ball for this one was Jordan Miller because he was basically perfect in this performance. I mean, Miller was clutch uh, seven or sorry, 13 for 13 from the free throw line. He was seven for seven from the floor. You know, he was the guy who was knocking down those clutch free throws that helped Miami get back into this basketball game. Uh, Isaiah Wong was also a huge part of the comeback when he started making those contested jumpers late in the game he didn't really flash that much in the box score 14 points five for 12 but he started to hit his shots when it mattered most and I think the most remarkable thing about this comeback was the fact that Miami was able to do it despite the fact that Norchad Omir was in foul trouble really the entire game I mean from the opening couple of minutes when he picked up a quick first foul and then Jim Laranega was very conservative put him on the bench for a big portion of the first half and then in the second half he was playing for most of it with four fouls. It was pretty remarkable that he never actually picked up his fifth and was able to make some clutch defensive plays in the process. So uh, Miami was able to get this comeback and, and win this historic victory, despite the fact they only hit two three-point shots. I mean, a couple nights ago, Kai, they shot 11 for 15, or sorry, 11 for 25 from three uh, in that victory against Houston. And then this time around, they basically did it ignoring the three-point line completely. Let's talk about Jim Laranega. Obviously, he's been to the Final Four before in a more of a Cinderella fashion, but this is kind of cool to see the progression. And obviously, he's been at Miami for a while now to just been able to develop the program to the point at, at 
that it's at now, you really feel like uh, he's kind of earned this and deserves this and to see him make it to this point. Yeah, I, I think what, what impresses me most about Coach L, as we call him, is his versatility for adapting to whatever lineup he's got. Because uh, Miami, you know, they don't have really an identity. Like, you don't think about, like, when you think about, like, the Princeton offense or something or the, or the Syracuse zone defense. Miami doesn't really have anything like that because some years – Coach L has big lineups. Uh, this year, he's got a very, very small but athletic lineup, and he's been able to maximize that. You know, some years the depth chart has been incredibly thin. That was the case last year when they had their Elite Eight run. They had a seven-man rotation most of the season last year. He's always been able to adapt. Uh, really, I, I guess his his trademark is uh, not having a trademark. Like, he can really work with with any kind of a roster, and he's been around forever. I'm, I'm not even sure how old. Jim Laranega is at this point. He might be 150. He might be 65, somewhere probably in between that. But there, there's nothing he hasn't seen, and there's no situation he hasn't had to adapt to in the past. So he's really done an amazing job maximizing this team. Stay up to date all year on the Miami Hurricanes by following Locked On Sports Today and Locked On Canes on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for making Locked On Sports Today your first listen. Coming up, we will tell you why UConn is the favorite of the Final Four to win it all. But before we get to that, the Aztecs are headed to their first ever Final Four thanks to some last-second drama against Creighton. The tournament is heating up, and there's no better place to get in on the action than FanDuel, America's number one sports book. That's because right now, FanDuel is giving new customers that no-sweat first bet of up to $1,000. That's up to $1,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. You just have to go to FanDuel.com slash locked on, sign up today to claim your no-sweat first bet. Then you can wager on everything from the money line to point spreads to which team will be cutting down the net. You can check up on the matchup between Miami and UConn in the Final Four. FanDuel has UConn favored by five and a half points over Miami in that late game on Saturday night. All of that is on the app. It's safe, secure, super easy for you to use. Don't miss your shot at a no-sweat first bet of up to $1,000 when you join FanDuel today. Just go to FanDuel.com slash locked on to sign up. Make every moment more with FanDuel. Now, here's what you need to be locked on today. The San Diego Aztecs are headed to their first ever Final Four. For the game tied, Creighton guard Ryan Nemhard fouled San Diego State guard Darian Trammell with 1.2 seconds remaining on a drive to the basket. Replays show Nemhard had his left hand on Trammell's right hip as he trailed Trammell into the paint. Nemhard appeared to have a handful of his jersey as well before nudging Trammell after he released the ball. Trammell drained the second free throw after missing the first for the final point in the Aztecs' win. This is the first time a school from the Mountain West Conference has ever made the Final Four. The Denver Broncos don't have a lot of draft picks to play with in the upcoming NFL draft, but Sean Payton is not dealing either one of his wideouts to fix that situation. Quote, we're not trading these two players, Payton said, referring to Josh Judy and Cortland Sutton. Because of the trades to acquire quarterback Russell Wilson from the Seattle Seahawks last year and Peyton from the New Orleans Saints this year, the Broncos don't have a selection until the third round, picks 67 and 68. They have five selections in the 2023 draft. The Los Angeles Lakers may have lost to the Chicago Bulls on Sunday, but they got LeBron James back on the court. He's missed 13 games in two weeks with a foot injury. LeBron consulted several different doctors, including one who LeBron refers to only as, quote, the LeBron James of feet. 
he t- uh, that doctor told him that according to him, he could get back on the court this season without surgery. So James opted for round the clock rehab and training to return with two weeks left in the regular season. The loss to Chicago dropped LA to number nine in the Western Conference standings, but only two games behind the number six Golden State Warriors and the Lakers have seven games left to play in the regular season. The Brooklyn Nets took an untimely loss to the Orlando Magic and are at the precipice of falling out of that guaranteed playoff spot into the play-in tournament. Locked on Nets coming at you following a very disappointing loss by Brooklyn visiting the Orlando Magic coming off the high of beating Miami with a massive third quarter on Saturday night. The Nets came falling, crashing back down to earth in this one against the Magic. Mikhail Bridges dropped 44 points. You think that would be the pathway to an easy victory for Brooklyn? Think again. No one else was really able to get anything going. The rest of the team shot two for 26 from three. The guys not named Mikhail Bridges. It was a real struggle dropping the Nets back into the playing game. A situation that might be looking, they might be looking at going forward here with the Miami Heat. We're going to talk about this game, the weekend as a whole, and what to expect for Brooklyn going forward. All that's going to be up on Locked On Nets. Here is another story you need to know. The Gonzaga Bulldogs were the higher seed, but the Yukon Huskies were far and away the better team in their Elite Eight matchup on Saturday. Andy Patton, host of Locked On Zags, has more. The number three seed Gonzaga Bulldogs fall to the fourth seeded Yukon Huskies 82 to 54 on Saturday evening. I'm Isaac Shade, and we're joined by the host of Locked on Zags, Mr. Andy Patton. And Andy, I'm sorry to have to talk under such uh, fraught circumstances here, but can, can you just put into perspective what went wrong in this game for the Bulldogs? Yeah, a whole lot of everything um, in this one right there. I mean, I mean, you read the score, 82-54, which you didn't have to. You could have left that out. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> no, um, it, it was it was a rough one uh, for, for Gonzaga on, on both ends of the floor. The outside shooting was just, I mean, it was just non-existent. It just was not there. And it felt like certainly there were some bad shots. I, I don't think that any game goes by where a team doesn't take bad shots. But for the most part, a lot of Gonzaga's looks from three, I didn't think were that bad. Like some of them were a little rushed. Some of them, maybe they could have made an extra pass, but there was a lot of instances where they had good looks and they just continually did not fall. And we knew this team was going to struggle on the defensive end of the floor. We knew that Adama Sanogo was going to play really good basketball on his end. And, and what he was able to do was really facilitate the offense for UConn by being more of a distributor, something that we've seen from him at times this year, but he really buckled down and did excellent there. And for Gonzaga, just not rotating quickly enough on defense. We saw many instances of Sonogo getting the ball, getting double teamed, and then whatever guard is supposed to rotate down just didn't show up. There's instantly, you watch highlights, you can see Rasir Bolton watching Andre Jackson dunk the ball because he's not, he, he didn't rotate there in time. Like there's multiple instances of that. And, and for Gonzaga, like their starting guards had a absolutely horrendous NCAA tournament. There is that is the politest word I can use to describe the incident with tournament that those two players had. It was just bad. And again, talking about Nolan Hickman, he he took a lot of good shots, like he was open. He just he couldn't he couldn't hit the broadside of a barn. I don't know what happened. And this kind of happened to him last year too. And it was like, oh, it's a freshman. Freshman kind of wear down towards the end of the year. But this is two years in a row where when the Zags need him most, he's just not there. And for Rasir Bolton, a guy who you know this is his fifth year in college. 
yeah, fifth year in college basketball. He's been at three different schools. He's been a, a ultra reliable competitor for the last half decade. And over the last month of the season, he just had an incredible vanishing act for the Zags. And it's, I mean, for Mark Few, I don't know how you can prepare for two of your guards to just completely disappear when you need them the most. And he did what he thought was best, which was play a whole heck of a lot of Malachi Smith. It worked against UCLA. It just didn't work here. And Andy, you, uh, the, the result of all that is a season-low 54 points for Gonzaga, the only time scoring under 60 this season. Yeah. A lot of the talk ahead of this game, or uh, honestly, the majority of the talk ahead of this game, was the battle in the paint between Drew Timmy and Adama mm-hmm. Sonogo. But as you alluded to, mm-hmm. Sonogo acted a lot more as a facilitator, and it was actually Jordan Hawkins that turns out to be the leading scorer for UConn. What is it that Hawkins did so well to get to those 20 points? Yeah, he hit he hit big shots, and some of them were well contested shots. Some of them were wide open shots, um, but for the most part, I, I think you. I don't I don't want to say that 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 UConn used Sonogo as a decoy because that feels like the not quite the correct terminology. But I, I'll stick with facilitator because Gonzaga has utilized Drew Timmy in this way in the past, and and quite often. I mean, Drew Timmy led Gonzaga in assists this year. That's not something that I think a lot of people would have necessarily expected, but they facilitated through him and. UConn wasn't really doing that with Sonogo a bunch this year, but it really worked well in the game plan today. And again, a, a, a shout out to Dan Hurley and their staff for, for coming up with a game plan that worked because they knew Gonzaga is slow on their defensive rotations. They've been slow on their defensive rotations all year long. And so it wasn't a shock that if Sonogo gets the ball, if he gets double teams, if he can swing it out, the rest of the guards are going to get open looks. And Jordan Hawkins, I mean, Mark Few said it before the game. He's one of the best pure shooters. I think Mark Few said he is the best peer shooter in college basketball. That is the phrase that he used to describe Jordan Hawkins. You can imagine if he's saying that to the press, that his whole game plan coming into this game was don't let Jordan Hawkins get open looks. And yet Gonzaga, a team that was, you know, barely in the top, I don't even think they were in the top 80 defensively or around top 80 defensively in Ken Palm rankings. That's not their strength. It wasn't their strength all season long. And they got away with, you know, playing well against UCLA on the offensive end of the floor. They got away against TCU, but they come into this game, don't play well on the defensive end of the floor. And this is what happens. Staying up to date all year on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. And of course, March Madness. You can check out Locked On College Basketball on YouTube and also Locked On Sports Today on YouTube and wherever else you get your podcasts from. Coming up, why has everything gone so wrong for the Dallas Mavericks? Do you ever search for something on the internet that you don't want anyone else to know about? Do you ever think, quote, I don't know how to spell Antetokounmpo? That's kind of embarrassing. I know most of you probably thinking, why don't you just use incognito mode? But uh, incognito mode does not hide your activity. It doesn't matter what mode you use or how many times you clear your browsing history. Your internet service provider can still see every single website that you've ever visited. That's why even when I'm at home, I never go online without using ExpressVPN. It doesn't matter who your internet service provider is. ISPs in the U.S. can legally sell your information to ad companies. ExpressVPN is an app that reroutes your internet connection through their secure servers so your ISP can't see the sites that you visit. ExpressVPN also keeps all of your information secure by encrypting 100% of your data with the most powerful encryption available. Most of the time, I don't even realize I have ExpressVPN on. It runs seamlessly in the background. It's really easy for you to use. 
All you do is tap that button and then you're protected with it. ExpressVPN is available on all of your devices, your phones, computer, even your smart TV. So there's no excuse for you not to be using it. Protect your online activity today with the VPN rated number one by Business Insider. Visit our exclusive link at expressvpn.com slash locked on. You can get an extra three months free on a one-year package. That's express, E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash locked on expressvpn.com slash locked on to learn more. Nick, I think we talked around the all-star break and we were just talking about obviously the acquisition of Kyrie and you're looking at maybe they have the best duo in the West, all these possibilities. We're now nearing the end of the season and it has gone about as poorly as it could possibly go. What is this a Kyrie problem? Because I'm sure a lot of people probably think that. Or is it just the fact they gave away anybody that played any semblance of defense to get Kyrie? Yeah, I think if you're looking at the current state of the Mavericks, which the current state of the Mavericks is they just lost two games to the Hornets with Luka and Kyrie both playing with no LaMelo Ball, no Terry Rozier. It doesn't matter. Even if those guys were playing, if you lose two games in a row to the Hornets, mm -hmm. uh, that's terrible and that's awful. But the state of the Mavericks is that. They've lost all these games in clutch games. So they've all been close games. And if you're, if you're looking at the state of the Mavericks and saying it's Kyrie's fault, it's on Kyrie. Luca is upset because of Kyrie. Mm -hmm. I think you're, you're reaching. And I think you're looking for trying to find something that's not there at this point, because from everything that I've seen and heard from everything that we've heard from publicly from uh, other players, you know, Maxi Kleba after he hit the game winning shot against the Lakers a couple weeks ago, feels like forever ago, uh, had glowing things to say about Kyrie Irving and about how he's been a great teammate and all of that. Like, we haven't heard the whole, oh, Kyrie's tearing this team apart. So if that's the take that you're going with, if you do think that, that Kyrie is the one that's bringing this team down, you're either out to get him or you're uh, being disingenuous or you're, uh, or you're trying to say that just by his very presence, just by him <laughs> as a person existing on the roster, that this team is worse. And, and I don't believe that to be true. Right. I mean, obviously, there's so much talent on the court with Luca and Kyrie out there, but it just doesn't seem to be working right now because of the other intangibles. Either they get down early or they aren't playing lockdown defense. It's a lot closer. And these are bad teams, some of them, that they're playing, specifically the Hornets. So is it just like, is it mental at this point, too, because it's been going on for a little bit? Yeah, I think some of it's gotten in their head. I think the big fatal flaw of this Mavericks team, if you're looking at one thing, if you're trying to find what's the one thing that's held them back, is they don't have leadership. Uh, the coach is not interested in, in being a leader. Uh, the coach said to me recently when I asked him about calling timeouts and about, you know, can you stop runs from other teams? He recently looked at me and said, I'm not playing. I'm watching just like you guys. That he's just hanging out and, and watching. Uh, and so I don't, I don't see any kind of accountability being taken, any leadership role stepping up from the coach, from him or the, you know, the coaching staff player wise, Jalen Brunson was a big leader last year. He's gone. Dorian Finney Smith had stepped up and become a leader. He's gone. Dwight Powell is like the one player that people would point to and say, that guy's a leader shrug. He plays like 20, 18, 20 minutes a game. Uh, you can't rely on him to be a leader. So it would have to be on Luca. And we've seen Luca this season. He's going through something. There, there's something in it, in his personal life that, that's going on with him. Uh, you could see it in just the first half of that Hornets game on Sunday that he's just not the same. Then he went out and dropped 40, which is what Luca does. He just goes out and produces. But there's something going on there. And, and he has had this whole issue this season with the refs, which has just been taken to the, the, the 100th level, like just taken to a level we haven't seen before of him yelling at the refs, screaming at the refs. He got a 16th tech on Sunday, so he'll miss the game against the, the Pacers on Monday night. 
And so he hasn't been the leader that the Mavericks need. One of the reasons why the Mavericks play up and down the competition is because of Luca's approach and how he takes it. So then the rest of the roster are just some role players, a couple young players, and Kyrie. Can Kyrie step up and be the leader? He's only been here a month or so. So I don't know if you're asking him to be that type of leader, but I think he has to be because he's the only one that seems to be has been there before and will step up in a way that could actually be a leader for this team. Kyrie says he relishes that role too. So hopefully, I mean, if you want to make a playoff push, if you want to put it that way, um, <laughs> don't do this. To me, push for a don't play do, don't do this to me. Stay up to date all year long on the Dallas Mavericks by subscribing to locked on sports today and locked on Mavericks on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts from. And finally, the New York Yankees will be starting rookie Anthony Volpe at shortstop on opening day. He's 21 years old. Volpe is only slightly older than Derek Jeter was when he debuted as a 20-year-old in 1995. Volpe said of the opportunity, quote, my heart was beating pretty hard. Incredible. I'm just so excited. It's hard for me to even put it into words, end quote. Volpe is the first shortstop since Jeter to be drafted by the Yankees and to work his way up through New York's organization to start for the big league club. Thanks for making Locked On Sports today your first listen. Now go find your favorite team's Locked On podcast. Make that your second listen. Coming up tomorrow, there's so little time left for NBA playoff hopefuls to earn a seat at the table. Who will separate themselves from the pack? At least until tomorrow, stay Locked On Sports today.